to become a better person, I have to pursue values that are outside of my comfort zone currently. So if a, to me, the next part of training and values is helping people to become someone they want to become, the outcome is not important. The outcome can change. God can take the outcome away. So it's more about the journey of who you're becoming than the outcome. My name is Wafea Abdallah, owner of Curly Oasis Inc., a curl-centric salon and education platform in Rockville, Maryland. Since opening the salon in 2005, we've seen how teaching people to care for their curls is a step into a much deeper journey of self-acceptance and empowerment. This show explores some of those different journeys and the lessons that we've learned along the way in hair care and in life. This is The Curl Code. Today we have Scott Musgrave, founder of Curly Hair Artistry and the MAP method, as well as the Cubist Cut. Scott has an online platform to teach hairdressers how to cut wavy, loose curl hair through Curly Hair Artistry and a product application method that he teaches to people of curl called Cultivate Your Curls. Scott, welcome. Thank you, Wafea. That was a nice introduction. I appreciate that. Nice to see you. You too. He's also a brother from another mother. (laughs) So let's start with curly hair. Tell me about your personal journey with your curls. Oh, my goodness. Well, I can go on forever and ever as as we all do and we have stories. But for me, it just grew up uh, with maybe a light wavy bump in my early, early stages. And I just woke up one day going through puberty and it was there. So I had a lot of different curls that uh, no one in my family had and nobody knew how to deal with. So I pretty much uh, went through high school using um, dispenser soap as I worked out all over my body and I just ran it through my hair and it looked like uh, like I got hit by electricity. So it was huge. And and we didn't know anything about products back then in the latter 70s, early 80s. Then I went into the Marine Corps and served my time in the Marines and got out. And I was doing construction in North Carolina. And somebody said, why don't you be a hairstylist? You would get out of the rain and do all this stuff. And I don't know where that came from. It just came out of the blue. And it was like God planted a seed in my brain that would not go away. And, and I checked into hair school and that started my journey because as you know, Wafaya, they don't teach curly hair, how to work with curly hair. They teach you how to fix it with a flat iron or they teach you how to curl hair that's straight. So you make your money by fixing it one way or another to straight or to curly, but nobody helps you learn to embrace curly hair. Yes. Well, in the 70s, there was no flat irons. So I'm intrigued. What were you doing with some hair knowledge that you were getting from beauty school? What were you doing with your curls then? Back then, it was just trial and error, but there was no consistency with me going through hair school in 1985. I graduated in 86, 1986. So uh, for them, it was teaching you how to use a Marcel iron or curling iron or just something to tame the frizz that was there. And 
sometimes I would put gel in and it would be solid as a rock and it would not move. <laughs> but it had curl definition that was different than no definition and just puffy. Or it was either that or keep it short. I remember those days. And my hair is very short now. When it's longer, it starts growing out and starts sticking out. And I usually cut it off to keep it short. So with my active lifestyle now, I just decided to keep it short. And, and I lived my whole life with big, puffy hair and curly hair. And I've had it longer than yours as it is now. And uh, it's one of those things that always in my family stood out because pictures Picture day was, oh, look at Scott hair day or <laughs> comments of from my, mainly my father. It must be raining soon because look at Scott's hair is getting bigger. So it was always a barometer. And, and back in the seventies and eighties, it was disco feathered back, wing back, uh, giant brush hair that you did with a blow dryer that all the guys in the gym locker room were working their hair after shower. And I couldn't do any of that. Yeah, I remember blaming Farrah Fawcett for a lot of my my bad hair days. I just couldn't do the feather back look. And so where did you get your curls? You mentioned your father uh, kind of, you know, making fun of your hair. So where did these curls come from? So I, I think my family had, my mother and father both had some kind of wavy hair. My father's hair was always about what it looked like right now on me. So uh, sure. he never had it long enough to know what it was looked like and um, Woodstock was going out and my hair would look like a white guy from Woodstock. And I was tall and skinny with a big puffy round head. And I had a nickname of Q-Tip because I was just tall and skinny with, uh, and I, and back then I had dandruff that that was horrible. So I had uh, people called me flaky as well with flaky or Q-Tip. So I always had a bunch of nicknames. And they didn't really bother me because everybody had nicknames back then, but it was um, more about something that was more personal. And, and I think some people with curly hair kind of learned to take uh, as a defense mechanism, learn to laugh at themselves in a way that maybe straight hair people wouldn't laugh at themselves uh, for. It was different for curly hair people and a lot of curly hair people can relate to that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember those days. Well, I think Paul Mitchell was uh, one of the first product companies to kind of give me some hope because, you know, you could use the sculpt there back then. It was, I think, the sculpting lotion, as you said, super glue and the liquid form and um, or the mousse. And once in a while you hit it and you kind of look decent, but not for too long. And you have sons now. Do they have curly hair? Yeah. So my wife's, as time has gone by, her hair has gotten curlier. So her hair, uh, so that's different for every, for different seasons. It seems like hormones change your hair at puberty and they change your hair unexpectedly at any time, but also at menopause. And for so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And my sons both have wavy and curly hair, but they, um, mostly wavy and looser than mine. And if you were to do a search on Scott Musgrave hair, you would find pictures of me with longer, curlier hair. So my son's hair was not as curly as mine. And, but they were about like I do now because they're very athletic. They work out there. They sweat a lot. So they do not want to deal with anything longer than uh, short hair. 
I get it. I get it. Well, they're very handsome. You know, well, thank you. So lucky to have a dad to guide them and and their life journey as well as their curl journey. Mm-hmm. And you and I actually were speaking about that a little bit not long ago. And you were sharing with me how you guided these young men into finding their authentic individual purpose. You want to share a little bit about that? Well, I mean, it's things that we've learned from working with each other in the curly business that we had with curly uh, hair artistry, with the leadership team that you've had. And whenever my sons would get stuck, A, we would always discuss those things because I've learned a long time ago that if you experience shame in any form or embarrassment, which is a form of shame, then you, you just become more reserved and you won't go back to the person that shamed you. So you, you then therefore restrict your conversations with what you talk about. So you don't want to get hurt again. So you start almost putting on this fake self, uh, what we call poser and you're posing your way through life and you've become this expert at faking your way through life. So I I've learned to recognize those things in my own journey of working with other people. So I discussed with my wife many, many years ago while our children were born that no matter what they say to us, that we're not going to shame them or embarrass them. And even to this day, they still come to us and discuss things that I never discussed with my parents or my father or even anyone else, actually. And that's actually a very healthy thing that you should do when you're with people that you love or trust. So now we do kid around with each other, but it's a little bit different. We've done values exercises that you've taught with your team and the team-based approach that you have that I just love. And I've really dissected the significance of what values are. And even recently, you talked with my son over values because he kept going from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing and never finding any form of fulfillment. So we did the values exercise that you and I teach and and through our trainings. And he found his three most important values. And now he has something to base what his goals are And because values fuel your goals, but more importantly, when you fulfill your values daily, there's no need to keep jumping around from one thing to another thing to another thing because you're doing intentional, uh, valuable um, actions or whatever it is that you're doing. You're intentionally seeking out things that will fulfill your values versus wandering around wondering what's going to happen and just... and keep going until something happens that sparks you, which is how I live the majority of my life. So these guys found, found very early that if you fulfill your values, because you know, your values, then you'll find fulfillment and you won't. So they're a little bit more intentional and focused because of those few things of don't shame, don't embarrass and know what's important to you. I absolutely love that. And Brene Brown would be very proud of you. You know, and Simon, Simon Sinek also talks about, you know, you start with why. What's your right. why? When you're clear about your purpose and you really live from that place, then things are much clearer. And, you know, often it's your purpose for now, but that doesn't mean it can't evolve or shift and take on a different shape, you know, in the future. And I think so many kids are stuck because... They want to know, okay, what's my life going to look like? I need to decide now because I'm going to keep doing it forever. 
And you're absolutely right. When you get clear about your values and where you're at at the moment and, you know, start from, from that place and, and, and also let it flow, let it evolve. You know, you spoke about your own personal story coming into hair. I mean, the universe certainly had your back. You could say God, spirit, you know, whatever you believe in, uh, you were, you were guided to it. And, you know, you got this, you heard this thing and, and you couldn't shake it because, you know, your soul knew the truth that this was part of your path. Yes. And your values actually should change. You know, they're, they're not something stagnant for the rest of your life. To become a better person, I have to pursue values that are outside of my comfort zone currently. So if I want to become somebody uh, like health is a value for me. So I have to have a variety of different goals to help me and challenge me with the value of faith. But for a while, business was a value that overrode my health. And then sometimes business Mm -hmm. was a value that overrode another value of family. Sometimes business overtook my faith. And when I was out of alignment, my life story was revealing to me where I was out of alignment. So I had to shift my mm-hmm. values, but also my personal values for who I want to become sometimes need to change to values that I don't even know how to live from, but I want to become like that. So to me, the next part of training and values is helping people to become someone they want to become and leave the values that are now ingrained inside of you uh, and are serving you doesn't mean you have to stay in that, but try to focus if you want to. You can focus on a value that you would like to become more like. And uh, and that that itself is a journey that will reveal more than the outcome. Because to me, the outcome is not important. The outcome can change. The outcome can go away. God can take the outcome away. So it's more about the journey of who you're becoming than the outcome. Absolutely. You know, thought leaders teach us that we are spiritual beings having a human journey. And what you're really talking about is growth. And the only thing that's constant is change. Yet, it's the thing we're most afraid of and that we resist. So if you could share, what are some ways that since this pandemic, I mean, I think it was like a big giant classroom for us, really. And we were, you know, we had the opportunity to learn and grow, sure, through some hardships, right? The greatest lessons. But for you, what are some of the biggest shifts for you that happened? 2020, when the pandemic hit. I was sitting out at my um, fire pit in our backyard and I realized I won't be going to work for who knows how long. It ended up being a good solid two months. I haven't had a two month vacation since I was in (laughs) high school from 11th grade to 12th grade. I took that summer off and didn't work because I was going in the Marines. So I'd spent 35, 40 years since I've had something like that because I've always worked. And when I couldn't do anything, I realized after about three weeks that the chaos of life that I was living kind of was good and it served a purpose, but somewhere along the way, the journey, I lost my soul somewhere and I had no sense of, I had, I I didn't have a sense of where I was going, what I was doing. For some reason, there was a lot of confusion in my soul and in my spirit. Mm. So it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of digging and 
it lasted for about two and a half years of this dark darkness in my soul. I didn't know if it was a funk. I didn't know if it was depression, but I was reading recently reading a book on the soul of leadership. I believe it's a title of it. And she mentioned that darkness sometimes isn't evil or it doesn't come from the devil. It doesn't come from the enemy. I'm a Christian, so we call it the enemy. It's actually God extending grace to you. And I'm just misinterpreting it because it's actually grace in the way that there are things inside of me that no longer serve me or serve God and they need to leave and they, and they need to be purged from me. So it was a purging process that led me over time to f- try to find ways. Like I reprioritized my family. I reprioritized the value of health and fitness. And I, and, and I purposely trained myself in areas of difficulty to stretch myself and push myself beyond my comfort zone. So in all actuality, that was driven by what God wanted me, who he wants me to become. So I faced a lot of times these inner demons during training times, working out, and there were inner demons of comparison, comparing myself to other people. Inner demons are saying, I'm a little bit too old for this. I'm not like a young whippersnapper. So these are things that I would hear inside my my head and my heart that would normally just make me want to either numb them out so I don't hear those voices anymore or just... uh, but just go into more passivity or a form of resignation and just say, this must just be who I am, which, which is in a form of an, of an agreement with those inner demons. So there is like some form of spiritual battle always going on and somebody always wins and it always shows up in the consequences of your behaviors. So I kept persisting. And when I read that one passage in the book about that darkness was actually God's grace. You wouldn't believe the burdens I felt released because I almost thought I was being punished. But this, these burdens were released and they left me. And since then, my energy levels have been a lot more optimistic. Yes. I mean, you know, spirituality can come in, in many different forms and for sure. And we talk about the yin and yang of life, right? Yin is going in. It's deep. It's you know, almost being in that place so that you can reevaluate. And then when you're re-energized, you can come back out. And I know one of the ways that you put yourself in discomfort is ice baths. Yes. Right? Yes. It was my third year of um, pursuing and learning about what happens to your mindset and your body while you plunge in the cold tank filled with cold water. What happens? Well, I mean, there's many things. It changes your hormones inside of your body. Your brain chemistry starts changing. So one of the biggest things I've learned about is when you are going into water that's 46 degrees and it's 37 degrees outside and you you go out there with just gym shorts on and bare skin and barefoot and you're walking towards the plunge and you just, you know, you're inside the house. It's warm. I have a bathrobe that it's nice and snugly and had my coffee. And the things that you can manufacture in your head before you even go into the cold water, it's almost the torturous part. And I've had invited people over and they would come over in the car drive over. And even they said they would lose sleep about it. I'm not <laughs> thinking about it for doing it that morning. And the point is, when you put your finger in, in the water and you say, oh, my gosh, it's cold. Or if you dip your finger and you're waiting and you're thinking about it, 
that's my life overall in general is me overthinking and getting overwhelmed in everything that I do. So I've learned year one to not think about it and just get in the water. And the first year was really hard. Now I can step in and not even think about it. I, I just do it. I, 99% of the time no longer bothers me. And the first thing you do is when you sit in the water and you lay back and the water goes up to your chin, you have to breathe because you want to go, <gasps> like almost hold your breath. So you learn to let it out and breathe and, and it's cold. There's no doubt about it. It's cold. And when you sit there and you all of a sudden you realize within 45 seconds for most people, including myself, you're almost adapted and you're in the water and you feel the cold, but it's no longer a shock. So mm. this, this teaches you that your body will adapt in uncomfortable situations, but the more comfortable you keep yourself, you never allow your body to adapt to any stressful situation. So I've learned that by doing this over and over, I can be in a stressful situation and all of a sudden I'm not freaking out like I used to be, or so I may be in a heated argument with someone and all of a sudden I'm not yelling. I mean, there's data, there's data, you know, Dr. Mark Hyman, who's an integrative uh, doctor and Wim Hof, I believe is, is the person who teaches about cold plunges. I think there's more people now, but it's the first one I'd heard of. And yeah, I mean, the data is out there that, you know, going to these extreme temperatures and even, uh, I think there's places that are even offering it now as a service where you, you know, go in cold for a couple of minutes and then you go in heat and you're switching back and forth in that, in that same time. Um, so that's super cool. This isn't new age. This isn't psychology. I mean, it's somewhat psychology. There's scientific proof of benefits from cold and hot training to uh, change what can happen within your nervous system, your brain, and even your breathing pattern. So I'd also study breathing patterns. I've taken online courses for breathing uh, uh, courses and learned to be able to manage your state and my nervous system mainly. I mean, now we're being triggered by the nervous in our nervous system consciously and unconsciously living our lives mostly unconscious of what the news, what the world, what our clients, what our businesses, what our families, our spouses are doing to us. And I would rather be consciously aware of what's going on in my nervous system so I can pace myself better throughout the day instead of living with cortisol and stress. I'm 60 years old. I don't want to live with any more internal or from external stress factors. If anything, I want to be consciously aware of how my body's being triggered by those things and learn how to manage it instead of it managing me. Absolutely. And Joe Dispenza really talks about the neuroscience of that, that, you know, so often we're allowing our surroundings uh, create our, our reality as opposed to really going within and understanding that anything that's happening around us, we get to tell the narrative. And we can say people and things are doing this to us, but that's not the reality. The reality is how we react to it. Right. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah, that's super powerful. If someone just took six breaths in at a second of pace, like one, two, three, four, five, six, and released it, one, two, three, four, five, six, you do 10 rounds of that called the perfect breath. 
and it slows your nervous system and your heart rate down. And you can do that in an argument. You can do it on a bus ride. You can do it out behind the car so you don't experience car road raids. You can do it while you're working behind the chair on clients and nobody's even knowing you're doing it. So that's the beauty of this stuff. You can be doing things and consciously controlling your environment instead of it controlling you. I love, yes, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's a practice, yes. you know, and I often will say to the team, because we're doing a lot of these workshops together, you know, it's like when you first do a bicep curl, you might start with five pounds and mm-hmm. over time, as you consistently do it, you can do heavier weight and you can do more reps. And so it's really building that muscle. You mentioned being 60 and you're in great shape, aren't you? Um, I'm so people say, yeah, I mean, I feel really good. I can, I can move around. I keep up with people half my age that drink a lot of water. I try to eat well. I, I still enjoy my, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts and ice cream and potato chips. But, uh, yes, I do something every day, if not twice a day with working out in some form. And I do what's called functional fitness or circular training. It's more about how you move along with stretching and some forms of yoga. So that I can keep the fashion and the tissues between the joints and ligaments healthy. Because if you don't keep your joints and ligaments healthy, then your muscles can deteriorate. And then everybody tries to build muscle without the joints and ligaments first. So they experience a lot of pain and they usually stop. But if you work on your joints and ligaments for the rest of your life, you'll have strong muscle tissue as well. I want to talk a little bit about curly hair artistry and your education platform for uh, hair professionals and talk about, you know, how you feel that's evolved and where you'd like to take that. Curly hair artistry started, oh man, I think it was around 2011, 12. My obsession with curly hair, I finally went online and found social media. I was doing things without social media. And then when I found, for example, Facebook was really huge back then. So Facebook um, and some other platforms that aren't around anymore, but Facebook allowed me to connect with people that were doing like yourself, doing curly hair. And we, I would reach out and connect with people. And I'm a strong introvert for a strong introvert to reach out and connect with people is a lot because if anything, sometimes introverts want to sit back and wait for people to approach them. But my passion overrode uh, the fear or the intimidation of, of what will other people think. And I also, um, I failed English twice and I went to summer school twice. So when I went back to hair school, that was a big step for me because I thought I was an idiot. And uh, I ended up applying myself and being top of the class. And one of the things that uh, was a part of my journey in my prayer time was literally writing down what I thought I heard God in my heart say is tell the world about what you love to do. And I started a blog and I started writing, which is ironic because I failed English twice. <laughs> I, I took a faith step and he took that faith step and turned it into a snowball and it reached far more people than I ever could do on my own. So to me, this is a God thing. And there was people around the world that were reading it. And that sounds like a lot of people, but it's not. It's just a few people. But those few people were very important people and they, we reached out and uh, they reached out and we connected and we engaged with each other. And then we, then I would engage with people on social media 
and eventually start having phone calls with people, messaging people, and reached a point where in 2013, so this would be 10 years uh, for the anniversary of Curly Hair Artistry, of forming just a group of people on, on a social media platform, Facebook. And every now and then, um, would you like to meet up? No. And would you like to wait another couple months? Would you like to meet up? No. And then all of a sudden, I think people need, just needed to find out a little bit about who I am, who each other, who the people are. And eventually we agreed on, yes, let's have a meetup. So we decided to have the first meetup in Atlanta in 2013, which you were a part of. And it was a great time of like a family getting together and with everybody sharing and having passions and learning. And uh, by the time the event ended, you offered to host an event at your salon. And we, we ended up going from one a year to two a year. And then all of a sudden, some others, uh, uh, some, it started shaping and forming into kind of its own thing. Now, I didn't know back then, but I know now as a part of the growth, listening to other people and taking other people's input, it's very important as a part of the growth process. But, uh, but at that time, unknowns to me, I was losing a part of my soul somewhere, listening to other people, taking other people's input, valuing other people's input over my input, over my prayer life's input, over my wife's input. And, 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 but yeah, it was growing and helping and serving people. But at some point during the journey, I also created a little bit of confusion because people would start giving feedback with, there's too much going on. It's a little bit hectic. There's too many different options. So I narrowed it down to just focusing on a little bit more of what my own training was and, and focusing on developing business as well as, as a part of what you've uh, been teaching with along uh, with curly hair artistry is our business options, teaching a little bit of personal development um, and taking uh, the cubist cutting methods and learning mostly with wavy and loose curly hair, like you mentioned. Because those, based on feedback, most people were saying they have the hardest time, not with straight hair, not with really super curly hair either. It's the wavier hair that they don't know how to style or cut or work with and lose curly hair. So just based on feedback alone, I kept showing more of those. And I guess I just became known for someone who does that because I work with all curl types. And the people that have attended curly hair artistry are some of the best curly hair specialists in the world. Your salon is one of the top salons in the world with working only with curly hair. And it's great to see how people have blossomed from the confidence that they've gained from just learning how to build their business and their brand, because you have to step out in faith. You have to have, walk your top. You have to have a, you, you, your esteem rises, your confidence level rises, your dignity shifts inside of you that says, I can do this. And it's fun to see people of all sorts of all around the world that have come in from um, some of these trainings. So for right now, going into the future, there's some areas that I would like to tackle. Um, and I'm just getting a little bit of feedback from people. What's interesting is hairstyles can stay in a rut and stay in, in what's comfortable. And they can stay in the initial transformational service experience and, and get clients to come back to them and cater to a, a repeat visit and add in some color or some highlights. But then there's a stuck rut of, of what's possible 
And some of these people get really busy and booked up. So then uh, other people can't get in with them. So people are looking for more uh, uh, stylists. And it's still a challenge to take a traditional straight hair cutter into the curly world because it's almost all, all or nothing. But the part that I'm interested in working in is how to combine the best of both worlds and try to change the service experience to maybe cater to people that do want to wear their hair a little bit more straighter versus curly all the time. There's millions of people that want to do that. There's millions of people that want to wear their hair traditionally curly that don't know how to do that. That's the market we've been uh, mostly focused on. So there's some other people too with a variety of things that are struggling with uh, anything from protein and moisture imbalances, uh, learning how to work with very thin, fine hair, because I don't know about you behind the chair, but in my world and in my online and behind the chair communities, people are every day asking me about my hair is thinning out or it's falling out or it's breaking off and they don't know what to do about it. So those are service ideas that can uh, add service options to a salon experience that's not currently being addressed, but it has to be, I think, uh, it can become a part of a service experience for a salon menu as an option without trying to add on another product line or another manufacturer. Well, there's a lot we can dig into with with everything you just shared. I'm just going to go back to Atlanta for a minute because if I recall, it was going to be in one salon with Robin, who now owns Southern Curl. She didn't have Southern Curl at the time. And then if I recall correctly, we ended up shifting to another salon. Mm-hmm. That was called like the blowout or something like that, right? (laughs) Which like that alone is like, okay, what is going on? It was so much fun. And I remember coming up to you after and saying, okay, I see what you're doing and I want in. Uh, Because what was happening at the time is Diva was kind of the hot thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, all the answers weren't there yet. They were also really kind of growing and getting going. And we were seeing a lot of clients with super, super tight curls. And we knew what to do with medium curls, right? But we didn't know what to do with tight spiral curls. So what what I loved about curly hair artistry is that we were hairdressers figuring out answers that we didn't quite have yet. And actually, it was also right around the same time that Diva was shifting. Mm -hmm. And I think they were, you know, Lorraine was kind of pushed out of her company. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the timing was so appropriate because then things really changed. And we really didn't have a lot of answers. And we had to figure a lot of things out for ourselves. So it was was kind of like the uh, think tank of curly hair for a while. Yeah, it was awesome. And so that's, yeah. And at 10 years, my gosh. It's so funny because, you know, for a long time, we thought our original group was it. And now there's so many new people and so many, you know, people who came later on who also have educational platforms. I'm thinking, who are these youngsters? (laughs) But it's grown. It's grown tremendously. Um, So I really appreciate revisiting the history of how curly hair artistry started. And one thing you you talked about is like, okay, people are thinning and, and things like that. And you're right about, you know, manufacturers that we can't always believe the advertising. 
you know, just because something says it's natural on a bottle doesn't mean it's actually natural. And we find there are times where some of the ingredients, especially where there's the use of petrochemicals and plastics, can cause hair loss. You know, it's not water soluble. Uh, it's things that over time will lodge themselves in, in the, you know, in the scalp and it doesn't come out and it'll kind of weaken the hair follicle and people are losing hair. And now, of course, you're on a health kick. You know, we're all looking at health and what we're putting in our bodies could also be linked to, to gut health. And, you know, because hair and skin is like an alarm system. Yeah. And so if there's something going on with your hair and or skin and nails, you want to take a deeper look at what's going on in your body, what you're using on your body and what you're putting in your body. And so it's only getting deeper. And it's, it's just such a wonderful way to really elevate the industry is, is what it is. Because you talked about, you know, flunking English twice and not really being that into school in your young years, yet here you are, a highly self-educated man who, you know, really just didn't have the inspiration to, to give it your best. And, but now, now the people who are going, and especially post pandemic, now the people who are going into hairdressing, it's, it's, it's a different audience. Um, in fact, just to share, we just hired our newest team member was a nurse and she really got tired of being in healthcare and you know, the standards that they had to adhere to and really got deep within herself and realized that she'd always wanted to learn hair. And we're so blessed that she, you know, found us. Awesome. Uh, she did look around, but she said, your salon spoke to me in a way that, you know, other salons did not. And, and it's, it's just super cool to be drawing from that group now. Um, so yeah, we have to elevate our industry. And that's, Really, what I feel that, you know, the work that you're doing um, is contributing to and the work that we're doing here in terms of the organization of the business and the, the team mindset that really we all have contributions to make. It's not just your boss is, you know, second to God and you're nothing but little, you know, uh, workers. Um, and so thank you for, for sharing all that. and. And I love that you're, you know, opening yourself up to the growth and the future of curly hair artistry and where you want to take it. And let's see, you know, you've always been one to kind of step way out of the box. It's funny that you say, you know, you had these demons. And, and I did want to follow a question with that. Do you think some of those demons and that negative self-talk may have even come from people's response to your, your afro and your hair? <laughs> When you were younger and hearing that criticism? I believe as a creative person, which we're all creative uh, in some form or shape or way, it depends on what you do with the creativity. If you're taking a faith step and decide to express it somehow, you will experience what this one book, I believe it's called The War of Art or The Art of War. It's, I think it's The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. He mentions the word, yeah. uh, the word resistance. And as a creative person, you like, uh, when you put yourself out there and you sit down and you want to start writing something, you will hear voices in your head. Well, you have to share. You don't know anything. So-and-so knows way more about this. 
you have not read enough books. You need to keep reading books to learn about some of this stuff. And it's just like, it, it just wants to diminish you and put you in your place somehow. So everyone that is creative to some extent has some form of resistance. And when you want to change and make something better, you will encounter more resistance. Now throw on top of that, uh, internet trolls, mean people in general. Uh, so when I started that blog in 2012, my skin was pretty thin. I was very vulnerable because I want to help people and serve people. And how could anybody want to be against that? And then all of a sudden, 999 people love you, but there's this one person that just wants to grill you and, and deal you. And even to this day, I still get a little ting in my heart of somebody saying something. So there's a difference between feedback and criticism and being critical uh, and learning to interpret those things and learn to have develop a thick skin. There's no book on developing a thick skin. You have to put yourself out there and not really care what other people think over time. And uh, you got to lose sleep over it and you got to process this, hopefully with another healthy, healthy person. I have not done therapy. I probably would benefit from going to therapy. So the, uh, the inner demons are always there. Being made fun of and being ridiculed, um, I, I, I don't know if everybody goes through that. Maybe some people go through it more. You know, everybody's got some form of trauma that they hold within themselves. And where demons for me will always be there because I am always stepping out of the comfort zone to, to take on not what hairstylists want, but the demand for what clients want dictates what I teach to my clients, therefore generates usually interest for hairstylists to want to know about it. So when I talk about protein moisture, when I talk about thinning hair, and I talk about a few of the other things that I share, not many hairstylists currently, currently want those, but the consumer and the clients do. So I cater to them. And then if over time, stylists want to learn more about those things, I'll be prepared to be able to offer those things uh, when they're ready. So I always enjoy asking hairstylists and my clients, you know, what are you frustrated with? And I think most manufacturers and most companies are afraid to ask because you're put in a vulnerable position to hear negative things. But from my perspective, those are opportunities to help serve someone in areas that they're not being served at currently. Uh, I don't like staying stuck in, in I'm all about progress. And the other way to do that is sometimes to disrupt the system a little bit. And uh, that's, that's part of the deal. And when you do that, the negative demons and uh, resistance usually increases sometimes. So you learn to realize that that's a source of fuel that used to drain me, but now it actually fuels me to generate things. So as a creator, we're called to generate content and generate things for other people. If you do not generate all the time, then you will be consuming. And as a creative person, if you're not expressing and all you do is consume, you will be sucked dry and you will lose your soul. So to me, it's very important that even with resistance, even with inner demons, uh, those now are a form of fuel to keep me going and expand my territory. Why is it that, you know, we might hear, as you said, 99 people applauding our effort and that one voice, right? And, I, and again, to refer to Brene Brown, you know, the cheap seats. Are you in the arena with blood, sweat, and tears? 
are you in the cheap seats making the comments and the criticisms? And it, you're right, it's really taking a good look at us, at ourselves. And for me, the way that I navigate that is I, you know, I think about being on my deathbed. When I'm in that space, am I going to think about how many people I pleased or didn't please? Or am I going to want to know that I lived my life to the fullest that I can? Right. And that's what gets me out of that space. Yes. And, and reminds myself that ultimately, you know, I believe in me, I believe in my friends, and I believe in myself. And to repeat that and knock that other voice out is how I've navigated that. So if we could also uh, kind of give some hair tips now, let's talk about the MAP method a little bit, which is your product application method. Tell me again what MAP stands for. Uh, it stands for Magic Curly, app, Magic Curl or Magic Curly application process. So that's a mouthful. So I just call it the MAP method. And really all it is, is a somewhat systematic approach to uh, so most people struggle with my hair is dry and it's frizzy. Well, if you hydrate your hair and I use the term hydrate to refer to putting in a good uh, quality uh, conditioner. And that's water soluble. Let's just add that. Right. That's water soluble. And then the map method and cultivate your curls, which is my online course that anybody can take to learn this method because most people can't sit in my chair and learn it. So I developed the online course, Cultivate Your Curls, to address that anybody can take this. And uh, it's usually a 30-day process of learning. Once you learn the system, then it's practice it. And it's usually about 30 days because most people do their hair twice a week. So that's really only 15 times that you're doing your hair or less. Uh, and uh, by that time, you, you know how to develop what I call your inner curl mentor. Your inner curl mentor is this voice that says that looks in the mirror and knows kind of what to do. Uh, it's kind of intuitive. It's your intuition, actually. And it bases it on muscle memory and what, what it feels like with your fingers, what it sounds like with your hair. My business years ago, never let your client touch your, their hair. I started letting my clients do their hair with me guiding them through it. So they did develop muscle memory. So if they heard the squishy sounds, I would write all this stuff and tell them and I would show them and they would still leave confused or asking a lot of questions and not walking around looking like they knew what they did with their hair because I did everything. So one day I said, I'm going to let teach my clients how to do this, but I'm going to guide them through the process. So that develops a little bit of maturity to learn how to guide a client through because you cannot use sometimes the same product, can't use the same amount. You have to sometimes change brands. Everybody's got thick hair, thin hair, fine hair, puffy hair, small hair, thin hair. And it, you have to learn how to navigate your client through this whole process. So the MAP method kind of breaks things down in a system that addresses all of those things without it being overwhelming. So hydrating your hair is very important. That's number one. If you had money, uh, if you had no money, save up your money for a good conditioner. That's the most important part. Then the next part is learning how to put in maybe something soft on top of the hair, give your the porosity of your hair a little bit of softness. And since there's no real hold to that, because when people were doing their hair, they would rinse out all the conditioner and they would go to a gel on dry 
dehydrated, not healthy hair and put gel on top of it. It was hard and crunchy and they did not like it at all. So they swore off gel for the rest of their lives. Some people tried mousse and they liked mousse, but some people didn't. But most people would rinse all the conditioner out and put a cream on top of their hair. Oh boy, they liked the way it felt, but they did not like the way it looked, but it felt better and it didn't look as fuzzy, but they did not like the way it looked. So I combined things together in a, in a unusual sequence of learning to leave a little bit of conditioner and put in a little bit of a conditioner with uh, a, a, a cream-based product that you would normally use with no hold. Not in my system, I call that filler. And then since it doesn't have any hold, you want to put some gel on and learn how to work with it with your hands to accomplish the results that when you look in the mirror, you see it forming and it's looking nice. And then you take like a t-shirt and you learn to scrunch it up real good and you let go and you'll see these beautiful ringlets and beautiful waves, beautiful uh, tight curls. And then you learn to diffuse it or you learn to air dry it. And then that is called your day one routine. And then from there, you learn how to do a day two or day three routine, but you got to always start with a good day one routine. Yeah, it sets you up. It sets you up for several days of great hair. Scott, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you this evening. Uh, you want to learn more about Scott, you can check him out on Scott Musgrave Hair or curlyhairartistry.com. Uh, just with Faye, you've been a joy and a pleasure to work with throughout the years. You've been uh, a, a friend and uh, someone that's always encouraging and optimistic. and you know you want to hang on to someone like that. I do because, like I said, in a world that's filled with trolls and mean people and people that just want to say stuff, those are really all signs of a dysfunctional behavior that you'll learn not to take personal. And it's still challenging to this day. But it, when it's working with people like you that make it a joy doing this, I'm definitely for the rest of my life keeping you as a friend. So thank you for being you and everything that you do. Thank you, my brother. An absolute pleasure. Wishing you all the best and looking forward to connecting and doing more things together in the future. Thank you very much for being here. The Curl Code is brought to you from the Oasis Curl Salon in Rockville, Maryland, hosted by the one and only Wafea Abdullah. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Hannah Gaber, and edited by Tatiana Zamis. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating. And if you've got some nice things to say, go ahead and leave us a review. But most importantly, please share the show with anyone you think would enjoy it. Word of mouth really is the best way to help people find us. Learn more about Curly Oasis at www.curlyoasis.com and continue your curl education journey by finding them on Instagram and YouTube. The Curl Code is a Say More production.